It's Cofield and Company. 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 Who put y'all in charge of snack distribution? With Steve Cofield. Then I seen him. I seen Steve. And Adam Hill. Adam Hill is usually so fair, so reasonable. Uh, that's shocking to hear something like that from Adam Hill. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday. Getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Partying, partying. Partying, partying. All right, here we go. Yeah. Uh, Adam Hill is here. It's Cofield, Ari alongside Finley Toyota Studios. Big Friday. We had uh, big news with the Raiders on a lot of fronts yesterday. Uh, one of the other big stories got kind of buried with the Raiders in terms of building up that front office after so many folks have left, men have left, uh, over the and women, uh, over the last 18 months or so. So we'll get to that for sure. Uh, a little more on College Conference Armageddon. We've been... I think doing a pretty good job of getting West Coast perspective on this because, as I've pointed out many times now, I feel like we're just fed this Midwest stuff. And there are – it's like I've always said, right, Adam? Uh, you, you know, Vegas specifically uh, up until maybe the last three years was like sports Siberia. It was like a foreign <laughs> land. No one knew what the hell was going on on the ground here. There was all this misinformation. And I think that also happens with uh, East, you know, Southeast and Midwest bias where West Coast stories emerge – and you don't hear West Coast voices, right? So we've been having on folks who cover certain schools, went to certain schools. I'm really excited. In the middle of the hour, one of the really good college football analysts who played the game, Rod Gilmore, is going to be on with us. And he went to Stanford and Cal. Mm. I think if I have a correct, Stanford undergrad and Cal Law. So we'll talk to Rod in a little bit. And then we've got a bunch of NFL players on, Mark McMillan, Stanford route, and we're uh, efforting the new fullback of the Raiders, Jakob, right? Get that right. Josh McDaniels corrected. Right. I forgot who said Jacob. Jakob, the uh, German fullback who's been brought in by uh, Ziegler and McDaniels, Jakob Johnson, who is, uh, like so many Raiders, doing some charitable work this weekend, actually across the country. So we'll, I'm really excited about that one because I uh, want to talk about his background and, and certainly want to talk about NFL in Europe. And you know, you got a Germany game and... I think in the future, there's going to be pockets of Europe that are going to be actually really good feeding areas for players. And you watch, you're going to start seeing, it might not be the big boys right off the bat in college football. You're going to start seeing like, hey, here's, you know, 6'6", 330 pound dude from Germany. Like what, where, how'd they find him? Kind of, you know, kind of along the lines of like the weird stuff that's going on right now, where it seems like every college is like, we need a punter. Australia. Send someone to Australia. Who do we know? We have a rep, right? So that's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. It's the three on Cofield and Company. So we come out of the gates with the NHL. The draft was yesterday. We didn't get to talk about it, and we didn't put it on the front burner because the Knights didn't have a first-round pick. We'll get into the Knights' approach, kind of Rams-like, where they never have a first-round pick. But I wanted to talk about the top of the draft. Um I mean, a little bit NBA-like, right? People were, some people were surprised, although, you know, sports books kind of were on to the Paolo Bancaro angle, being the number one pick over uh, Jabari Smith. What exactly happened with Montreal? And this guy, Shane Wright, it appeared that Shane Wright was like the consensus number one pick. And 
Montreal snubbed him, and then he didn't. He didn't go to four, right? Number four. Yeah, I think it's first of all. I'll just say right off the bat, and I know you know a lot of people might not want to hear it, especially people that like to do this. Uh, there should be no betting on drafts. Oh, really? Look yeah. at you. Yeah. Stuffy old Adam Hill pushing back on sports games. Well, no, this is like for how long were these things not available in Nevada? And then we open up sports book sports betting, and what do we say? We are so good here at understanding the market and understanding what is going on and understanding where money is moving and all these other sorts of things and regulating it, and it's safe and secure. And then it expands, and books all over the country want to just post ev- everything's available. We're just going to let people bet on everything. And I, there are some things. Is it difficult to fix a game? Yeah. A lot of things have to be involved, and a lot of players might not even want to do it because it's not worth the money, that sort of thing, and it's illegal, and you you do have a sense of guilt about it if you do it. Fixing the draft? <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. And, and seriously, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Yeah. Who cares? And so if, when you're betting on things that it doesn't really matter and you can put out fake information and all these other things, like this is silly. Shane Wright was as high as minus 5,000. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. 5,000. I knew he was the, the prohibitive choice. Minus 5,000? By yesterday, it got down to minus 250 early in the day. Oh, man. And then right before the draft started, it's he's now an underdog. Wow. And everything shifts. And that's because you know, people know who's going to be the first pick. It's out yeah, there. Yeah. And people can tell people who's out there. I mean, the, some of the stories I've heard about what went on with the NBA draft is crazy. Like? Of literally people paying off reporters to throw off false information. Betters or teams? Betters. Okay. And it's crazy. Or somebody in an organization, like a lower level employee, to feed information to a reporter. And then the the reporter's not wrong. Right. Like, hey, this, I got they, this from a team source. They thought that a good source. Yeah. And, and like, that sort of, those things are, again, those are just rumors and speculation. But again, like, that, those things don't matter. Who cares if a low level employee leaks a fake draft pick to a reporter? Who cares? Like, it's not fixing a game. You're not, you're not corrupting anything like that. You're just throwing off the market and trying to, you know, earn some money for your friends. Like, that, this just shouldn't, I, I'm, I'm done. I think it's silly that there's betting on the drafts. Stop doing it. Okay, we're not talking about it anymore. No, uh, I, NBA, I, we can talk about it. I, no, just, no. I don't, I don't think. <laughs> it's I, I no, think it's, it's I think we have to talk about it's it. Out. I think it's things we have to examine this. All right, we'll hit it more in the five o'clock hour when we talk about the Golden Knights. Uh, NBA Summer League opens up yesterday. I know you were out there. I saw you tweeting a bunch. Uh, Paolo Bancaro against Jabari Smith. Uh, Bancaro seemed to. When I was watching, I didn't even really notice Jabari Smith on the floor. Bancaro seemed to have the ball all the time, and they were talking about him. All the time. Uh, who else was the the big star in that game for the Rockets? Uh, Josh Christopher. Josh Christopher from uh, Arizona State. Um, you thought Ban Caro? I mean, he just he looked better in one game. He looked good. Yeah, yeah. and again, it's, it's one game. I mean, I, I, I this is not. I don't know who these people were. I'll just say this: this is a conversation I saw. Yeah, a media person. Yes. Who I didn't know, but is clearly known because a lot of people, a lot of lead people, were stopping by and saying hi to him. Hmm. Tapped. A league person, who, again, I didn't know, but I saw he had a league credential. He was from some team. Tapped him on the shoulder at halftime and said, I told you Jabari Smith was no good. And I was like, oh, wow. what are, what? What are, what are remember, we doing? Remember the idiot 
back in the early 2000s who watched Chris Paul one time and was like, he doesn't have it. This is not going to be a big-time player. Steve Cofield? Yes, that was me. I, I've yes. done it. Watching I've done someone it. one time for a quarter ain't the best way to get a read on him and his future. I've done it. I've done it both ways. I mean, I've, I've talked about the Giannis thing all the time, which he came out had like a pretty bad first quarter, yeah. and I made the declarative statement he's the, going to be the best player in NBA history, <laughs> and he didn't do Expert. much. <laughs> yeah. Expert. I was like, it's the one thing I've gotten right out there. Yeah. You you don't know any. And again, that was after a bad quarter. Yeah. I was. I just thought the way that he played. I was like, wow, the, the stride on this guy. He, he's going to be impossible to stop mm-hmm. at some point. Um, but you can't judge. You can't. You th- there's nothing you can see, and in. Ben Carroll was talking about after the game. I, I was uh, standing around for his uh, availability, talking to some reporters, and Jabari Smith talked about it as well. The coaches for the summer league teams just said, "It's it's a, it's what we really haven't even practiced." Yeah, every every <laughs> player came off the court when they were talking to Cassidy Hubberth, uh, who was on with us yesterday, and you can find the interview up at ESPN Las Vegas. Um, every almost every player came up and was like, "I mean, we haven't played five on five in yeah. weeks, if not months." And Ben Carroll came off the floor and he's like, "I'm." Stiff everywhere. I really, I got to get back into it. And when you watch the, I saw Coach Joe Esposito, one of our regulars, tweeted out about you know, pass the ball. It is like, it is just a continuation for a lot of guys of AAU and uh, like the mindset of the players. And I don't want to sound like old curmudgeon, guys. The way you're going to make an NBA roster ain't making, even if you make it, like 18 footers. Like making, they know what bad shots are. Bad shot makers are still not going to make the NBA. Just play the game, move the ball, take good shots, go out and do you know some of the dirty work. You're probably not going to be in the top ten rotation on a team like scoring twenty four, but going seven of twenty five and twenty one of the shots are low percentage shots. Like that's probably not going to help you. Well, to the, so there you go, old guy take. To the point about Ben Carroll, it was it was funny. Me and uh, me and JVT were back in like the locker room area. And Bancaro had huge ice bags on both of his knees. Yeah. And we looked at each other and said, he's he's 19. What, what do we do? What are you, 55 years old? But he just hasn't played in a while. He hasn't been out there. And I thought one of the one of the funniest things, though, he gave, he ended up giving a, a, a decent whatever answer. It, w- it was fine. But one of the questions to Bancaro was, hey, the first couple times you got the ball, you you kind of, you know, you look. You, you surveyed the court. You made a pass. Was that a conscious decision? Get your teammates involved? And he just kind of looked and He's. A, I. I. I just. I haven't played in a while. I don't know. I was just trying to get into the flow. Of the game. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. I'm excited to get started. I had an opportunity to meet Dave Ziegler and Coach McDaniel's, and I know that the experience and the enthusiasm they bring will help this team build on one of the best seasons in Raiders recent history. The greatness that we see on that field, my goal is to replicate that throughout this organization. That culture of winning, teamwork, and transparency will be a part of everything we do. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. FDM yesterday at the intro press conference. Sandra Douglas Morgan, local, very much a local, not a native. Yeah, what two years short of being a native? Well, I just uh, their words matter, and I saw a lot of people saying Las Vegas native, and she is the ones that know. Are you a local? I'm a local, not a native. Okay. Words matter. Willie, Willie's a local, not a native. She's, I'm a local, not a native. I'm saying she's the one that pointed out, not a native. Okay. So she's not. She, she moved here when she was two. All right. She's very, very much a local, very much ingrained in 
Yes. In Las Vegas. When you're on the board of that many Las Vegas companies and you're part of the sports scene with the Nevada State Athletic Commission and the Gaming Commission, um, I don't think I realized until after the press conference, and really, the, you know, we only found out in the morning, how many people around town know her. Yeah. Like, she is, I'm going to say it again, she's very much a local, so if that's what they were looking for, they freaking hit a home run. Um, I thought her press conference was very good. I thought she took some things heads on, head on. She didn't get into details about the workplace environment, well, she but she, men- she mentioned it from the get-go, and she's just on the job. So you're right. She has to, she has to look into it. It's one of the things she said. She wants to talk to every employee, find out, you know, gauge the, gauge the culture of the room and the, and the organization, everybody around it, and then work from there. And her, her track record everywhere that she's been has been to address those things, tackle those head-on, also deal with, you know, one of, the, one of the things she talked about when she was with the Gaming Commission and the Gaming Control Board was – that it's it's been it's been such a male dominated industry for so long, and, and I listen. The first thing I want to say is how much feedback we got of oh, of course they went and hired a black lady because all these other accusations. Look at her resume; mm-hmm. it is insane. It's she has done everything mm-hmm. to get to this point. It's if if that's ridiculous. your first reaction on hires like this, then you've got a problem. Yeah. Then actually, you might be the problem at your workplace. Because I because I, I thought about it afterwards, and you know females breaking through in male dominated businesses, it's not easy. No. By the way, we have experience in sports radio because we are not diverse at all. Yeah, and women have not been welcome, and it's been a weird environment for them. I have worked for multiple women in sports radio, and they've all been as good as any male, if not better. At running things, and those who are qualified and do the job, they command respect. Now, it doesn't mean every female hire or every diversity hire is going to do a great job. No. But the first thing is giving people a chance, but but broadening the horizons within companies tends to hopefully change the workplace. Do, do you mean- because, because if you're not on board, like I'll just say it, I... I thought this place had a, a harassment issue or, you know, it, it was it was annoying watching some of the dudes around the office with women and a lot of them are gone. Yeah. It just, it, it'll, you'll naturally weed yourself out as a horse's ass. Yeah. Do you, you, know many, you know how many doofus white males get jobs and nobody's like, oh, of course, hard a white male. I mean, it's ridiculous. So can I, can I, can I, I also, I, I want to mention this one. I thought this was a really good quote from Mark Davis. He said, uh, we were beginning to be more corporate in the organization. Um, it got to a point where people could be replaceable. You know, that's never been what the Raiders organization has been about. It's always been about people first and family. And I, I, I look around the sports world sometimes and I'm like, wait, this person was parking cars? At the beginning, uh, they were an intern. What? 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 Like you look at her background, and you're like, okay, like she's been around. The, I mean, the, the power brokers. I listen, it, and there are stories where, hey, it's great to promote from within. It is. Yeah. But sometimes people are just beyond their depth when they get to a certain level, and they get to that level because they're friends. Yeah. Well, they've been around forever. Like that, that sometimes 
the barriers they break, they're not really qualified to break that barrier. Sure. I mean, the the only issue, if you, I think this is an ama- it's an amazing hire. It's a grand slam. People are calling it a home run. It's a grand slam hire. I, I would say the only issue that I have is she's overqualified and she's going to be a senator one day. But she's going to be gone. Is, do you think this is just a this could be like a five or eight year stop? Like she's got bigger things she can do. Which if that's the case, like I'm sure, I'm sure she's going to do a very good job for yeah. that time and then move on. Which well, we, I, we talk about all the time. That's a good thing. If somebody does so well that they move on, good. But she's going to be, like I said, a senator or the commissioner of the NFL or something. She's going to go on to bigger things from here. This is not will, the end. I would be fascinated to be a fly on the wall as she starts meeting all these NFL people and other organizations. Because yeah. I thought about it yesterday. I'm like, wait. I mean, she's already dealt with it, right? She's already dealt. I'm sure she's dealt with male-dominated stuff here in the state of Nevada, in Las Vegas, in southern Nevada. But the, one of the first things I thought of, and it, it's just like, hey, there's a club and there's an outsider, right? First, that one of the things I was thinking of, and it's not female in, in a male world, it's, hey, you don't belong to the club in this male world. I was thinking of what they showed us in winning time, where Dr. Jerry Buss is like, he's not a basketball guy. Like, who the hell is this guy? He's really not super rich. you know. And the other owners and like Red Auerbach are like, who's this horse's ass? We are going to destroy you. Now, I hope we've made progress here, but I, 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 I would love to be in meetings and hear chatter. Because you know, there's there's people around the National Football League who, who are resistant to this. I mean, look at look sure. at the stories we've heard from the Redskins football team commanders. It's still not fixed. No, no, it's not. But but and, and but I, think, I, lo- I love the potential. And and she even said it. She's like, I've been in control of hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars as part of you know fidelity, right? Foley, yeah, allegiance. We mentioned Caesars, the, Caesars, MGM, the, the other gigs here, MGM, twenty year attorney. Yeah, was the and 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 the fact that she has dealt with as you talk about the barriers. Now the, the NFL is the ultimate like barrier to try to break through. Uh, but first ever African American city attorney in the state of Nevada, which is insane to say that about somebody who's so young that that it just now happened a few years ago when she took over the first ever African American city attorney in the state of Nevada when she uh, was doing that for North Las Vegas. Uh, first female, first African American female. Be in charge of the gaming control board. I think second female ever uh, to do that. So I mean, she's she's dealt with having to break through barriers before. So she's she's going to be very used to that. And her bridges to the community. We mentioned she knows everyone. Like you, <laughs> I think you have some personal connections indirectly to her. I certainly do. Right. I know you. I know one that you didn't even know yeah. that you had. We'll talk about that her. next week with one of our um, buddies, yeah, one of our regulars. And and yeah, just the amount of people that she knows in the community and has worked with, and, and I thought one of the, the telling things, and I kind of brought it up uh, to Mark Davis about all the people that have said great things about her, and he said it's it's one of the things that you know really was attractive about her as a candidate is that she's been she's been on the regulatory side, as you mentioned, athletic commission. You have to say no to people, say no to the UFC, to, to the boxing people. Um, to you know, and the gaming control board. You have to say no to casino owners and you know casinos every day about things, and deal with that. Uh-huh. And every one of them thinks they're best friends. Uh-huh. And she's saying no. Yeah. Like that, that's kind of crazy. And and he said that was that was part of it. And she she just has these great relationships. Now she also joked uh, about <laughs> she's like oh I have plenty of enemies. Don't worry, you'll find them. But I mean she she has this you know unbelievable track record in all these different facets of. The community, the city, all these connections—it's—it's it's great, and we are not 
we are not ones to, I'm sure people listen to the show every day, just, hey, everything's great. Everything, everything they do is wonderful. I, there, I, there's nothing negative at this point. Her and her husband both went to Reno. That's negative. She went to UNLV Law. She did. Her husband played in the NFL. Yeah, I talked, like to, him for, years I talked to him for a bit yesterday. Yeah. And uh, I said, I actually asked him, I said, listen, uh, as we sit here at this press conference and it's this proud moment for your family, you're in the stadium that UNLV plays. And he looked around and he said, we talked about it. <laughs> He's like, we're aware. <laughs> and he said, uh, no matter how you feel about it, we're, we are Reno people. We went to we went to the school there. We we love we love the school there. Like okay, well it's that's fine. interesting. But yeah, it, she also. But she, as you said, she also uh, has been in Las Vegas her whole life, uh, and she did go to UNLV Law School. So, well, I had a conversation yesterday with uh, Dr. Whitfield, Keith Whitfield, the president of UNLV, and that's one of the things I'm excited about because I don't think there was a great working relationship. We've you know hinted at that, talked about that uh, with UNLV and the Raiders, and specifically with DRF and. Mark Bedane. So I think, you know, this is a real good chance here to have some some melding and and both, you know, organizations can move forward and be helping each other a lot more, which, hey, on the horizon, I don't know what's going to happen with the college conference stuff. I do know John Skipper, the former chief of uh, ESPN, was on with Levitard today, and he started talking about a basically a four-conference Big 64. So that means there are opportunities out there. Again, we'll go out to the West Coast. Let's talk about what's going on with the Pac-12. Nothing's happened for a week. Everyone come to frig down, right? Uh, the UCLA-USC thing took months and months and months to put together. Rod Gilmore, ESPN analyst, is up to talk about uh, what they're thinking right now in the Pac-12 and the future of universities and conferences on the West Coast. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. I'm most of the California kids try to make up their minds if they're going to go to Stanford or USC. And Stanford is a little high-minded intellectually. And my senior year, I'm up there playing, and there was a sign in the stand, sure, OJ can run, but can he read? Man, I'm telling you, I will. <laughs> my point is, I don't want to lose that rivalry. I want to beat Stanford every year. Incidentally, I could read. <laughs> now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Hometown hero, O.J. Simpson. We like uh, playing O.J. on the show, and he still has sports takes. And, the, you know, those rivalries are something very interesting, and we've kind of hit on that with a lot of the Pac-12 experts. We've been bringing on Pac-12 folks from a lot of the different markets because all I feel like the rest of the nation is just getting stuff fed from the Big 12 and the Northeast and, and Southeast about how West Coast football doesn't matter, the Pac-12 is dead, Pump the brakes on all of this. Rod Gilmore played at Stanford, also went to Cal. He's a Northern California guy, so perfect guy to bring in to kind of get the feel, the vibe of what's going on around the Pac-12, especially in Northern California. Rod, how are you? It's Stephen Adam. Hey, I'm well. How are you guys doing? We're good. This has been a you know a fascinating week of uh, of chatter about what's going to happen you know over the next five ten years with college athletics, college football, mm-hmm. and especially the Pac-12. So just. Give me your vibe on on how you know Stanford and Cal are kind of thinking right now uh, about what USC and UCLA did. Well, well, first of all, has anything changed in the last hour that I've been offline? <laughs> no, 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 no. It is, it is actually slowed down. It's actually slowed down <laughs> because that that really is you know the way that things have gone the last a couple of weeks. The pace has been yeah. amazing. Um, 
Look, there, there's some threshold things I think we, we need to keep in mind. You know, first and foremost, um, this, is, this is an admission across the board, whether it's the Pac-12 or anyone else in the country, that this is a business. This is about money. It's about chasing TV dollars, and everything else goes by the wayside or is, is secondary. And, you know, that is, you know, the academic side of it, the, uh, the welfare of players, um, geography, the connection to the school, the campus life that uh, athletics plays in that and whatnot, all that becomes secondary or tertiary. And that's where Stanford and Cal have a huge issue with the changes that are happening. Mm-hmm. You know, even before we got to this point of what you call it, realignment or consolidation, the name, image, and likeness issue and how that was playing out and how it was impacting recruiting, those things That was a real concern for Stanford and Cal and whether philosophically they wanted to be involved with those things. So uh, this really just uh, doubles down on all of those concerns, and Stanford and Cal approach athletics differently. But there are folks who are sitting in the, the meetings of the Board of Trustees at those places and wondering, do we really want to be all in in, you know, an approach to chase TV money, and that's the primary motivation for having collegiate athletics on campus. And, and that's a discussion that isn't happening, by and large, in other places. I, I've had my friends, you know, you know, with Duke and Boston College and other places like that reach out and say, hey, you know, we're concerned about that as well. So that's an additional layer for Stanford and Cal to consider. Um, but separate and apart from that, if you just talk about what's the landscape look like and what's out there for them, nobody really knows. I mean, anyone who says that they know what's going to happen next, you know, and all the rumors that are out there, uh, they're not certain. I've had a number of people, you know, uh, in positions to know, you know, in the Bay Area with Stanford and Cal and other places in the Pac-12 say to me over the last week, you are going to hear hundreds of rumors They don't necessarily mean anything because we've got multiple parties looking at multiple outcomes, multiple issues with multiple separate interests. And so everything's being tried on, but it doesn't mean that any of these rumors that we we hear, you know, wind up being the leader in the clubhouse, especially given that you've got the TV networks involved. So, I mean, you were tying Stanford and Cal together, I think, with, with very good reason. But they they are in a different position, right? Where Stanford, yeah, Stanford has a forty billion dollar endowment, and I think they love to have the sports programs, and it draws a lot of interest, and it draws a lot of attention, and and it draws you know students from other athletics uh, besides just football into their school. But Cal is a public school that kind of needs that revenue coming in a little bit to uh, their situation. So they they are in a different spot in terms of how they have to negotiate these waters, right? Yes, but no. Uh, Stanford's endowment, you know, it's, you know, 30 billion. You know, there are only a couple of Ivy League schools that are ahead of them, but they might as well not have it because there is no way that that endowment gets used to, you know, be focused on athletics. That, that part won't change. So, you know, the athletic department really is, you know, kind of self funding and has been able to do that, uh, with donations and with TV money. So the notion that Stanford's going to take, you know, you know, several billion dollars and fund athletics uh, to make up for the loss of TV revenue. That that's kind of a non-starter. That, I, I don't think that would ever happen. So they're sort of in the same boat with Cal in terms of your budget is taking a huge hit, and how do you fund 
all of these sports that you want. Stanford has 35 sports. You know, uh, they don't want to cut them. Cal has 25. They don't want to cut any of their sports as well. So that, that's a real unique problem. When you look at other teams across the country, a lot of them aren't anywhere near those numbers of non-revenue sports. So it, it's, it's a big problem for Cal and Stanford when they try to figure out how does this pencil, when you look at the TV money that you might be losing if the Pac-12, you know, well, they can't retain 12 teams now. They're at least at 10 and maybe less. How do you make it pencil so you can keep your non-revenue sport? That's a bigger concern, I think, for Stanford and Cal than it is for some other places. And if I'm, you know, Cal, uh, I'm not happy with the way UCLA did this, you know, your sister school, you know, the regents who should be looking out not only for UCLA but for Cal uh, allowed this to happen. And it hasn't gotten much attention, but they allowed this to happen in secret. Hmm. I've been waiting to hear how in the world this got approved without open meetings. You know, they're, they're subject to the open meetings laws, but, and there are a few exceptions. So how they did this in secret without some transparency and the public being able to say, wait, wait a minute, is, is that good for the UC system? Is that good for Cal and UCLA? Is it good for the students? None of that happened. So they were able to do this, you know, very quietly, and we haven't heard anyone speak up and explain how that was legally done. Now, <laughs> that's a can of worms, but maybe nobody wants to get into it. Yeah. Well, and, you know, a lot of the talk right now is, you know, who ends up where, what conferences, of course, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are kind of in this yeah. race of who steals schools from the other one. Uh, that's yeah. all trying to be worked out. But we've been trying to read ahead, and I want to get your thoughts on my my belief that at some point it's going to end up being four major conferences and that they just break off completely and leave everybody else behind and they do their own thing. Like, Do you think that's the next step in this? Well, you guys, you know, have paid attention to this for the last few years. I mean, this isn't the first, you know, significant blow, you know, with UCLA and USC moving. It was Oklahoma, Texas, you know, last year it was the Pac-12 adding in 2012 and, you know, destabilizing the Big 12 momentarily. We have, for the last seven, eight, ten years, talked about this new model of a super conference with two major teams or three major, two major conferences or three major conferences where you have 40 or so programs that separate from everyone else and say, we want our own rules, we want to be able to, you know, pay players or do whatever we want without the burden of everyone else who doesn't take it as seriously as we do. So that's what we're looking at now, whether that is, you know, four conferences or two, there is a clear, clear separation between the Big Ten and the SEC. They're going to get the most TV money. They're going to have the most or the best TV windows. They're going to have a leg up in getting the most elite players um, and all of that. And then below them, the question is, you know, a step or two down, who will that be? Will that be one major conference that it's a combination of the Big 12 and the Pac-12 or the Big 12 uh, and the ACC, or does the ACC and Big 12 survive? I, I don't think we will have more than two conferences at that level below the first two. And then below those first two, you've got the group of five. And then below them, you've got the Ivies. So I think that's what we're looking at. I think we're looking at a playoff structure. You tell me what you think, but I, I think if we have the two super conferences and they maintain it the way they are, 
they may wind up with 20 teams or so and divide into pods so that you can play four or five on a regular basis. And we're looking at a playoff structure of probably 12 teams or so, and you automatically allow each year, you know, four or so from the SEC and the Big, and the Big Ten and create the highest rank next four out of the other available group of five, the tier below, all that kind of stuff. But they're going to get their guys in the, in the postseason. Rod Gilmore's with us. Football expert analyst for ESPN, played at Stanford, went to Cal Law, so very familiar with the market, grew up there as well. Last thing on Cal and Stanford before we look ahead to, again to overall college football, um, mm-hmm. I've been saying all along that I, I do believe that schools are concerned about being in conferences with schools that are of, you know, kind of a like goal. Um, I think Stanford and Cal actually could be a match for the Big Ten, and I, but I keep hearing, oh, well, maybe the Pac-12 could go out and grab a bunch of Texas schools, and I'm like, or Big 12 schools, and I'm like, wait, Stanford and Cal are going to be comfortable being in a conference with schools like Kansas State, Baylor, I mean, like former Southwest Conference schools. I mean, I, I think we kind of found out that they're, they're not like each other just in how COVID was handled, where it was, you know, in some areas of the country, it was like, screw COVID, football is more important. Yeah. Well, um, you <laughs> raised great points, but the, those points were part of the old analysis. Yeah. And those were factors that people really, truly cared about. But today, it is about what pencils does the map pencil. And that's going to trump those other concerns. And they will absolutely, I think, by and large, get in bed with schools that, you know, a couple years ago, they would say, no, we're not like-minded enough. We're not going to do it. Here's your problem. If you are Cal and you're looking at, you know, $35 million in TV money coming in and you were struggling to meet your budget anyway, Mm -hmm. and now with USC and UCLA leaving and that TV money might take a hit of five, ten million million so that, you know, instead of 35, maybe you get 25 or 20. Now you have a huge hole in your budget you can't replace. And while it's nice for you to think about all those other factors that really were important for all these years, now you're staring at how do we fund, you know, that deficit? How are we going to do it? Are we going to ask the students to pay for it? Or can we raise it? Is the university going to provide it and loan it on an annual basis? And you go, no, we might as well, you know, get out of competing at that level. So they're going to hold their nose and try and get to the Big Ten if they can, or create a new model where they can get enough TV money, you know, to at least take the hit on the budget a little bit and still compete. I mean, that, that's the reality. It now is all about what pencils, because whether you're talking Stanford or Cal, you're looking at your budget being blown to bit when you were expecting that $35 million to go to $60 million or so for the next six, seven, eight years. That's what you were expecting with the new TV deal. But when USC and UCLA left, now all of a sudden you're looking at losing mm-hmm. TV money and your budget getting wide open. So while it's great to care about, you know, being with like-minded schools, the priority right now is how does it pencil to help our budget? Rod Gilmer is with us. All right, let's, uh, let's switch gears here. I don't know I'm not crazy about it. And I, and I, I, I mean, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I, am, I am completely blown away by the notion <laughs> that we are throwing away rivalries. We're throwing away history. We're making students likely, if you you know can cut these deals, you know travel two, three time zones, middle of the week, end of the week. You know the whole, the whole deal. It's a whole different ballgame. 
Uh, did you get wind of the news yesterday here in Las Vegas with a new president, first uh, black female president in the history of the NFL, Sandra Douglas yeah. Morgan, and the significance of that? You know, congratulations to, um, you know, the Raiders for, you know, historically taking a leading position on diversity. You know, Amy, Amy Trask was, you know, the first female executive in the NFL for uh, the Raiders and uh, tremendous opportunity created there. And um, the Raiders were the first to hire the, the first African-American head coach uh, in the NFL. So kudos to, uh, you know, Mark Davis for continuing the tradition of uh, his dad, Al Davis, a late great godfather of the Raiders. Um, this is this is fantastic, and hopefully, hopefully, it's a trend uh, that will happen. And um, you know, I, we should all be excited that there are more opportunities being created. But let's hope that it spreads around the league. It's not limited to you know the Raiders creating these opportunities. Right. Uh, if I'm correct, your father was a barrier breaker, right? He was the uh, first African-American elected to the Oakland City Council, correct? That is correct. Um, he lived his life based on community service, uh, devoted uh, pretty much um, his entire adult life to civil rights and uh, trying to make Oakland a better place. Uh, we lost him a dozen years ago to, uh, to lung cancer, uh, but um, he certainly, certainly made his, his mark, and he was a huge huge Raiders fan, uh, was very um, instrumental in making sure that they came back to the Bay Area uh, from Los Angeles. So, um, yeah, we, we believe he left uh, quite a legacy. Thank you for asking about that. Of course, of course. Um, so have you been paying attention to what's uh, going on with the A's as Vegas, I, I, we believe, is being used as a negotiating pawn? And there was some good news this week with the city council saying, hey, we're not going to put this on the ballot. How do you feel about what's going on with sports? Uh, in the uh, Bay Area, you know, obviously the the Warriors moved over to San Francisco. Raiders come here. I mean, the A's is all that's left. Yeah, you know, it's really tough because you know I grew up in Oakland, and Oakland's identity historically has been very much tied to uh, its sports teams. You know, and and that toughness, blue collar approach. Uh, the Raiders and in, in uh, their heyday back there, uh, certainly the A's uh, were a big part of the community. And the players will, will, will tell you that they were, you know, connected to the community and involved with things. I, I remember uh, as a kid just how involved uh, guys like Raymond Chester, uh, you know, uh, were with, um, you know, the city uh, throughout the year, not just during the football season. And losing the Warriors was a huge punch to the city. And it, it really is painful for the city and the city's identity. And, um, you know, you look at what's going on with the A's right now, and sometimes they have, what, just a, a couple thousand fans in the stands or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are frustrated. Uh, people feel like the A's aren't really trying very hard to compete. And that was signaled when, you know, the, the local hero, Marcus Simeon, uh, mm-hmm. wasn't uh, signed when he became a free agent, that the A's didn't make a strong effort to, to keep him. And, uh, I mean, I've heard, I heard it from all over the place. It's like, if you can't keep the local hero, who's you know the poster child for uh, your 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 franchise, who who are you going to keep? And why should you know the community care if the ownership doesn't care? And I don't know that that's intentional by the ownership, but that is certainly the way uh, folks in Oakland have been feeling about the approach that the A's have taken. And you know we'll we'll see how it plays out. But I, I'm with you. It certainly looks like the the plan is to move out of Oakland, and and that would be the last nail in the coffin to lose all those professional teams really hurts Oakland's um, 
identity, and passion. Is that Howard Terminal area something that works for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could work. It could work. Um, you know, it helps that um, not only did the city, but uh, the commission that is responsible for saying yes to any development um, on the on the uh, the coast uh, gave it an okay that the land was you know available, not necessarily limited to uh, the Port of Oakland. So it, it's in a good location. Um, it has to be privately financed, though. I, I don't see how Oakland would ever approve, or the citizens would ever approve any kind of new stadium that required public funds, uh, given the history. So I, I would think that if it's a privately financed uh, deal, you know, there's a chance. And it doesn't help uh, the A's if they want to do something publicly financed when the Warriors shifted theirs privately right across the bay. Right. And like you said, they've kind of fostered so much dislike because of uh, the tanking and the poor yeah. record and getting, getting rid of the, yeah. the yeah. heroes. So, well, I hope you're having a good summer. Yeah. Hey, football's, I mean, literally weeks away here in terms of camps opening up. So thanks for the information. That's a really helpful stuff. Thanks. Just one thing. I need some okay. advice for you from you. Um, the Pac-12 media day is coming up in a couple of weeks <laughs> Yeah, with a little uh, pre-cocktail party with the coaches and athletic directors. Any advice as to how I should handle that? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of shots. A lot of shots. A lot of shots. <laughs> yeah. Drink it. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, we have the same thing coming up with Mountain West Conference football media day, and it's like I all we want to talk about is you know getting out and going to the Power Five. And I know you know Craig yeah. Thompson, a commissioner, doesn't doesn't want to hear that about UNLV. Yeah, that this may be the awkward, most uh, awkward media day uh, cocktail party in the history of the Pac-12. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Rod. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. You too. Rod Gilmore, longtime voice of uh, ESPN College Football as an analyst and really good stuff there. Uh, that, was, that was pretty eye-opening. We'll, we'll follow up on that. You know, there is the, hey, we're educational um, institutions primarily, you know, to my point. Like, I, we don't want to be with Kansas State and freaking Baylor and all that nonsense. But if you don't have money to run all the athletic programs, then what the hell do you do? Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. We're just acting like an idiot, honestly. It's just a seven-year-old temper tantrum. It's not, like I said, it's not something I'm proud of. It's not something I want to do. But like I said, stuff happens, man. I get it out. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Chris Hale, Red Sox pitcher, rehab, got all pissed off. They get him on camera throwing stuff around. Um, I'm glad he admitted that he's horse's ass. I mean, I like competitive people, and I'm a hothead, and you know, I was never a really good athlete, but I liked exploding when I sucked. <laughs> sure. Um, but for him, like he's already brittle as hell, and he's already been sidelined with you know dopey injuries aside from the real injury. So I'm glad he gets it. He talked about it though. Yeah, he, I'm, glad, he, no, I'm, I'm glad he gets it. He said he he learned early in his career because he punched something and got hurt, and then he saw another teammate. <laughs> Uh, like jump into something and get hurt. So he's like, I, I learned not what not to do in these t- temper tantrums. And also like the, you know, if I worked at Bank of America, that wouldn't fly. Good. He's right. It wouldn't fly. <laughs> yeah. For sure. At all. Um, I noticed the other night, uh, Mitch White was pitching. Was that a pickup in fantasy for you? It was. And he's got good stuff. Yeah. But there was a play where I think a ball got away on a relay and he's running you know, behind the third base line because he was trying to back up. And he puts out his right hand, bare hand, to grab the ball. And I'm like, dude, like I, I, that's that's your competitive spirit. Like you want to grab a barehanded job. But like, bro, you're trying to – the Dodger staff has already beat the hell. You're trying to finally break through. You got your opportunity. Don't break a finger by putting your hand up. I believe you had a no-hitter through six. 
and uh, allowed one hit and didn't get the win. Got the loss. Right, he was awesome. His, lo- his location was Wonderful. just. His location was completely ridiculous, but it just shows the depth of the Dodger organization. It's sick.